Hello, and thank you for joining us on the Stay Healthy Spokane podcast, aimed at helping you live an active, healthy, and enjoyable life in and around Spokane, Washington. Brought to you by Gordon Physical Therapy. And now, here's your host, Dr. Luke Gordon. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me on today's episode of the Stay Healthy Spokane podcast. This is Luke Gordon, your host, and today's topic is all about lower back pain and sciatica. We're going to cover a lot of information about what causes lower back pain and sciatica and um, how to figure out what's causing uh, the pain for you or a loved one if you have it, and then we'll go into more information on how to treat it and things like that, too. So this is going to be a similar format to the last episode I did, uh, episode 13, where basically I went through uh, the balance and fall prevention workshop that I usually do live at the clinic. And um, just for a little bit of background information right now, we're still in the middle of kind of the COVID lockdown here in Washington State. And so um, I'm a little short on guests these days, but uh, luckily I have plenty of good information to share with you. So so that's kind of the, the format that we're running with is uh, I'm going to go through a ton of information that usually I do in a live workshop at the clinic, uh, usually in small groups of like 10 to 20 people. So it's a little more interactive when you have a live workshop in the clinic because, uh, you know, I have my, my whiteboard, so I do my my best attempts at drawing, which I'll just kind of explain as we go. And then um, I can take questions from the audience and stuff like that, which is super valuable. But with any luck, this will be valuable to you as well if you're listening. And again, it should just be a lot of information about lower back pain and sciatica. Um, again, what what's, causes it, how to tell what's causing it, and then where to go from there in terms of successful treatment or things you can do on your own. So I will answer uh, or share a lot of that information as we go to be a real, hopefully a real deep dive into this so that you can get some some clarity on uh, on what to do about it, really. So so again, it's just me today, and uh, we're going to go through that. So before I dive into the information, let's just talk about why, let's just talk about lower back pain and sciatica in general and why it's so important. So at the PT clinic, this is probably, not probably, this is the most common complaint that we help people with. If you've ever had lower back pain and, and or sciatica, you're not alone. If you look at some of the statistics out there, you know, uh, over the course of our lifetimes, 80% of people, 80% of us are going to experience lower back pain at some point. So it's not uncommon. And so if you haven't experienced it yet, that's great. Uh, just maybe listen to the information today and just kind of store it away for when you do need it. But if you have had it, you already know that it can be quite cumbersome. It can be quite difficult to treat and it can last a long, long time. So a lot of our clients coming in for PT treatment for help with their back pain and sciatica, they've had it for years, some of them decades. And not all of it is treatable. Uh, You know, we're not necessarily miracle workers, but a lot of it is. And for a lot of people, just making like a 20 to 30 to 40% improvement in their pain allows them to do things that they want to do. And that's really what I want to emphasize before we get into the the details and the information is that we're not just talking about pain relief here. Because if you really ask the average person with low back pain, with or without sciatica, which is that pain running down the leg, by the way, I'll explain a little more later. But if you just ask them, hey, is pain relief what you're really looking for? They might they might tell you yes, but really, if they really dug deep and thought about it, they really don't care about pain relief. People don't care about pain relief in and of itself. And the reason I say that is because people deal with pain all the time. Day in and day out, they deal with pain. To some extent, pain is just a part of life, whether it's physical pain or mental pain or emotional pain or whatever. To some extent, you have to experience it and then um, hopefully it helps you grow as an individual. But in the case of like knee pain or back pain, it's just a common fact of life for a lot of people and they don't really care about it. They don't really care about it until a certain point when it starts to impact 
certain activities that they care about. So in and of itself, people don't typically care about pain. They can deal with pain for long periods of time and still go about their daily day-to-day lives. They're still happy. They're still fulfilled. But with something like sciatica, when it gets to the level, it reaches a threshold for someone where the pain is stopping them from walking, from standing for prolonged periods of time, from certain activities that they enjoy, like uh, activities with friends or their spouse or their kids or their grandkids, pickleball, hiking, running, skiing, uh, when the pain starts to interfere with those activities, that's where people start to care about the pain because of the activity. So just kind of wrap your head around that a little bit before I get into the details. There's so many folks, let's say in Spokane, my area, that have back pain that really aren't looking for help with it yet. And that's totally normal because the back pain and the sciatica haven't gotten to the level where that really comes to the front of their mind. Obviously, our lives are busy. You've got work, you've got school, you've got kids, whatever. So it's very important for us as therapists to understand that. The other thing I will say, though, is that most of these things, whether it's back pain, sciatica, knee pain, whatever, most of these things tend to get worse over time. So if you're one of those folks who's a little more uh, prophylactic, you, uh, you see that these things do Uh, turn into larger problems later on, and you want to protect yourself from any permanent damage, definitely uh, the information should help you too. So uh, even from minor aches and pains, the sooner you can eliminate those things, the better off you are. And the the less likely you are to have like a permanent problem that might end up resulting in injections, surgery, uh, long-term medication, which uh, from my personal perspective, as a natural health enthusiast, that's what we're trying to help our clients avoid. We're trying to say, hey, yeah, you don't have to live on on hydrocodone for the rest of your life or oxycodone and you don't have to have that injection if you don't want to and certainly if we can keep you away from surgery and keep you active and healthy and uh, enjoying life that's our goal so so there's your background that's why it's important super common um, back pain in and of itself sciatica which i mentioned um, is a little bit different from back pain not everyone with sciatica has back pain or not everyone with back pain has sciatica so let's go that's the first thing on my workshop list here is what is sciatica Depending on if you've um, dealt with that term before or Googled it, sciatica basically is pain uh, that travels from your lower back down the back of your leg, sometimes as far as the foot. So it's kind of like that pain in the butt we talk about. You've got a pain, starts kind of in your back or down by your, by your uh, tailbone, your sacrum, and then it starts to shoot down into your buttocks. Um, and then with more progressive sciatica pain or more severe pain, the pain starts to travel farther away from your back. So for some people, it might just be sciatica, got a little sciatica pain shooting into my buttocks out towards the side of my hip. Um, But then as it gets more severe, it's going down the back of your thigh, like in your hamstrings, down towards the knee. And then as it gets really severe, you're talking about that pain going all the way down the back of your calf, kind of wrapping around um, the side of your foot at times. So that's the true sciatica. And there's different types of sciatica, I guess you could say, but that's the true form of sciatica, where basically that sciatic nerve, which is the largest nerve in your body, it runs down that course that I just described. So anytime you're putting pressure on that nerve, that's going to cause that sciatica type pain. Now that being said, we're going to talk about in the next kind of main section of the workshop, we're going to talk about what causes that sciatica pain because there's different things that can cause pain along that nerve. But so far, let's just stick with what it is. So um, that's the nerve. It's a huge nerve. It's about the thickness of your thumb. It runs down into your buttocks. And then actually right around your knee, it splits into two nerves. And so one nerve is going back around um, to your calf, and the other uh, section of that nerve is going around to the outside of your lower leg. So that's your sciatic nerve. In addition to pain, a lot of people with sciatica are going to experience numbness and tingling. 
Just depends on which portion of the nerve is being touched or pushed on or impinged upon. And, um, and it depends on the severity too. So for some people, it might just start off as a, as a mild numbness or tingling in that aspect of the leg. Whereas for others, uh, they're having like severe, constant nerve pain and numbness and tingling. And again, it just depends on which part of the nerve is being, um, put pressure on and how severe it is, how long it's been going on as part of that too. So hopefully that makes sense in terms of the sciatica. Other things you'll hear about sciatica, people will have like similar symptoms like that, but it goes down the front of the thigh. Uh, so like into like the quadriceps region or into the groin along the front, that's not what I would consider sciatica simply because that's not involvement of the sciatic nerve. There, you can have similar symptoms anytime you touch on like a nerve root or a nerve itself, but the location of the symptoms really helps you identify um, where the problem is coming from. And so keep that in mind. So I, quite a few folks that will get in the clinic not nearly as many as sciatica, but they'll have like that numbness and tingling along the front of their thigh. And that just is more indicative of a different level of your back that we're talking about, different nerve roots and things like that. So if you have questions about that, just let me know. But I won't go into it in too much detail right now. So um, going back to what I was saying then, if you have that kind of distribution of pain and it sounds like you have sciatica, the first thing you want to do before you start trying to treat the pain or start looking for effective ways to eliminate the pain so that you can do those activities again is you want to figure out where is that pain really coming from. Now this is where people get in trouble when they try to research online by the, on their own, like on YouTube or Google, is that if you just look for you know, exercises for sciatica, you might get exercises geared towards treating one type of pain, but if your pain is coming from a different problem, those exercises could very well make you feel worse. So just be very cautious when you're looking online, and of course I've got tons of videos online so you could look at some of mine, but if you are looking at videos, um, before you start looking at how to treat it, make sure you have some kind of an understanding of potentially what's causing it. Now I'm not a huge fan of people trying to figure that out on their own, although, I mean, I have plenty of videos that teach you how to figure that out on your own if you, if you really want to start there. But just be cautious with that, again, because you're not, whenever you're doing your own research and trying to self-treat, you just don't want to make yourself worse. So if you feel like you've got a good understanding of it, you've watched some videos, you've read some articles, you've done some blogs, whatever, and you feel like what you're doing is effective and it's working, that's probably a fairly safe path. But again, just, just be sure that you're not making yourself worse. And of course, if you need help with it, there's plenty of people across Spokane or Washington or the country or the world, wherever you're listening, who can help you, who have experience with this. So just keep that in mind. So my intention here is to educate you, to help you make a better decision. But again, just be cautious uh, that you're not doing harm. So, so that being said, let's get into the three most common causes of lower back pain and sciatica. And uh, this is where I usually start drawing things on the whiteboard, but uh, you'll have to just do your best to, to listen to my descriptions here. So the first most common cause of lower back pain and sciatica is a bulging or a herniated disc. Now, most of the folks I talk to have heard of this before, a bulging disc, a protruded disc, a herniated disc. There's all sorts of different ways to describe a disc issue. Most of them just refer to the severity of the disc issue. So when you look at what discs are, you have your backbones and you have, we call these your vertebrae. So those are the bones. And in your lower back, we call this your lumbar region. You've got five of them. And so if you've ever had like an x-ray or an MRI, you'll hear the descriptive terms. You'll hear L1, you'll hear L2, L3, L4, L5. Those are the actual bones. And then below L5, you'll hear about uh, S1. S1 just refers to your sacrum. So you've got L1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then below that, at the very bottom, because your spine sits on your sacrum, you have S1. Now between each of those bones, those vertebrae, is a disc. 
So you have your L1 disc, you have your L2. Usually they call it like the disc between L1 and L2, depending on how they're, they're terming it. Um, so you have these discs between every one of those segments. Now the disc, uh, you know, properly functioning disc, if you look at it like on an x-ray, it's got a decent uh, height to it. And um, easy way to look at it is like a jelly donut. It's got a casing around the outside. And it's got a squishy substance in the middle. So as you move around, the gel kind of squishes. It's a nice shock absorber. And then it creates a certain amount of space between those two vertebrae, which you want. And then that space allows uh, nerves to run throughout the sides of, um, of the spine. So usually that's, you know, you've got a good disc height and it's not bulging to one direction or the other. It's just kind of squishing around in there. Now what happens is with a bulging disc or a herniated disc is that some of that squishy jelly substance has kind of like pushed out into the, the wrapper. And so it's bulging the disc in one direction. Now in and of itself, a disc bulge isn't gonna cause you pain. There's no pain receptors associated with the disc itself. But what happens is if that disc pushes on a nerve, then you're going to feel the nerve pain. So an interesting study that they've done um, probably several times over the years is they've, they've just surveyed people out in the general public walking around and they've given them all MRIs of their lower back. And on an MRI, you're going to see a disc bulge, um, by the way. You're not going to see a disc bulge on an x-ray. So they've given these folks MRIs and they said, you know, let's just look at how many of them have a bulging disc. And, you know, uh, maybe only, let's say, 20% of these people have active pain, but up to 80% of people just walking around right now will have a bulging disc, and they don't even know it. So to some extent, you could say, well, disc bulge is actually fairly common and fairly normal, and um, maybe it's bulging now, maybe it corrects itself later. So a disc bulge in and of itself isn't the end of the world, especially because most of them are very treatable, and the average person already has one. But the caveat there, the exception is when you have a disc bulge and it's bulging in the right direction or, and or it's bulging far enough to touch on one of those nerve roots, now you've got a problem because nerves don't like to be touched. So that's kind of the, the overarching concept of a bulging disc. And this is usually where I draw out the fact that you've got these vertebrae, like I said, these backbones, you've got, you've got the discs keeping a certain amount of space. And if you took a side view of the spine, what you would see is that at every level between like L1 and L2 and L2 and L3, there's a little hole on, the, on both sides where little nerve roots are popping out of your spine off of your spinal cord. So every single level off to the sides, you have a little nerve root that pops out. Now, these little nerve roots eventually form and they form nerves. So like your sciatic nerve is formed by several of these little nerve roots along your lumbar spine. So, and then towards your sacrum as well. So these little nerve roots is what we're talking about that are getting touched or pushed on with a bulging disc. So if you ever had a friend or a loved one, or hopefully not you, who had a severe disc bulge, what you will see is that they will have this pressure or they will have this severe sciatic pain running down their leg and it's like indescribable pain and there's nothing they can do about it. That's a severe disc bulge. With a, or, or it might even be a herniated disc, which a herniated disc just implies that it's pushed out and your, your likelihood of getting it to push back in is, is smaller than if it was less severe. So that's like the intractable pain. Now the average person though just has like a mild disc bulge or if it is moderate, they're having more constant nerve pain. They'll have nerve pain with certain motions. And so that's how we help differentiate between this first cause of low back pain and sciatica and the next two. So here's something to keep in mind then. If you're saying, well, okay, Luke, I get it, a bulging disc. How do I know if I have sciatica pain caused by a bulging disc? Here's the easiest way to tell. If you bend forward 
and that causes increased pain along that sciatic nerve distribution, typically that's going to be a disc. And if you sit down and it hurts to sit, typically that's a disc. Because as you bend forward, it's pushing that disc bulge back farther towards your nerve roots. So the nerve roots are basically back behind the disc. And when you bend forward, you put pressure on the front of the disc and it pushes it backwards. And that's your hallmark sign of a disc bulge causing sciatic pain. That also being said, this is more common in younger people. So you think of people like in their 20s, 30s, 40s, even if the, the older folks in their you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s have a bulging disc, it's not always, not usually the cause of their pain just because it's more common in a younger, more active population. So keep that in mind too. But again, bending forward is usually going to exacerbate your symptoms. Now, let's look at the second most common cause, and it's, it's almost the exact opposite in terms of its presentation. So the second most common cause, especially in people who are getting a little bit older, is what I just kind of term generally as degenerative changes. So you got degenerative changes in your spine. So again, if you have an x-ray or an MRI, you may be familiar with some of these terms. You may be familiar with something like stenosis or degenerative disc disease, DDD for short, or degenerative joint disease, uh, DJD for short. Or you could look at, gosh, what are the other words they throw out there? They throw out lots of big words on x-rays and MRIs. Um, spondylosis, they throw all these terms out. Uh, spondylolisthesis is a little bit different um, in terms of what's actually happening there. But you get all these things that are basically, you know, you might just call it wear and tear, but they're degenerative changes. So let's take a degenerative disc disease for an example. Uh, I mentioned that the disc, you know, when you're born and, you know, if you're younger and healthy and haven't had any problems with your back, your disc should have a nice, a nice height to it. But over time, discs tend to get squished. Gravity, injuries, things like that sitting a lot as puts a lot of pressure on your disc. So the disc will get squished. And if it, as it gets squished farther and farther, they can definitely see that on an x-ray. And that's going to be classified as degenerative disc disease. So as your disc is getting squished, those two vertebrae, those two backbones are getting closer and closer together. And if you go back to that little uh, side view of the spine again, where the nerve root is popping out, the area for that nerve root to pop out is now getting smaller and smaller. So that's a common look at degenerative disc disease. Now, as we're talking about that area for the nerve getting through, getting smaller, the general term they use for that, for narrowing, is stenosis. So you could see they would call this from a side view, they call it foraminal stenosis on your x-ray MRI. If there's narrowing around the spinal cord itself, they call that central stenosis um, or canal stenosis. So there's all these terms. I made a whole video about this uh, a year or two ago about alphabet soup, basically. Like if you've ever gotten your x-ray report or your MRI report, I don't know if they're doing it on purpose, but it sure seems like they are. Um, it's super confusing just to dissect what all these terms are even referring to. So yeah, that was a that was a video probably actually three, four years ago that I made just to try to help people understand that. So you've got those those things that are degenerative. Uh, degenerative joint disease, or you might just consider arthritis in your spine, osteoarthritis, is that you have these things called facet joints on the back of your spine. And basically, any part of your body that moves, moves because there's joints. So with your spine, let's look at your low back, you can bend forward and back, you can bend side to side, and you can rotate, you can twist from side to side. So you have these little joints called facet joints on the back of all your vertebrae. And when those joints start to get arthritic, you can definitely see that on an x-ray, and that's a degenerative joint. 
You can also get things like osteophytes or extra bone growth, which again, all of this stuff is just going to contribute to stenosis or narrowing. And if you get to the point where there's such a degree of narrowing and degenerative changes that now you're starting to put pressure on those nerve roots, especially with certain activities, then you're going to get sciatica related to that. So in and of itself, this type of back pain, degenerative back pain, is typically characterized by pain right in the middle of your low back. And it feels like pressure. It feels like someone's just squeezing your back. And then for these folks, again, they're typically a little older because they've had more wear and tear, more arthritis, or they could have had an injury too. Particularly what's going to happen is when they stand for prolonged periods, for some it's only 5-10 minutes, it feels like the pain just intensifies and gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And then when they go and they want to relieve the pain, they can lean forward like on a countertop or a shopping cart, um, or they can just sit down. And so when they sit down, they're decompressing all those structures along the back of their spine, and it feels good. So again, if you compare that to a disc injury, they're pretty easy to separate the two. You're saying with a disc injury, if you bend forward or you sit, it typically feels worse. And if you stand and move around, it typically feels pretty good, as long as it's not super severe and you're just uncomfortable with every activity. Whereas with a degenerative problem, um, standing feels horrible. Walking feels a little better than standing typically because you're moving, but standing in place, like standing and talking to a friend or standing at the sink, uh, is just horrible. Um, or if you're standing at a store, like on the concrete floors, it's just, it's just horrible. So that's the difference between those two. So that's more of a degenerative process. And then again, if you sit down, it typically feels pretty good. Not everyone with that degenerative pain has sciatica. A lot of them don't actually. It's just a lot of pain right in their low back. So that's the second one. So again, if you're trying to figure that out, just figure out what the pain presentation looks like. Forward bending is going to be typically a disc. Uh, backward bending, by the way, with degenerative pain feels not so great. So the average person with degenerative pain, since it feels good to bend forward, to decompress uh, the joints, the nerves, the discs, all that stuff, uh, they're not going to feel very good bending backwards. So pretty easy to spot those two and differentiate between the two. Now, the third one we're going to talk about then with the third most common cause of uh, lower back pain and sciatica, this one's a little tricky. This is your SI joint dysfunction or your pelvic dysfunction. Um, if you Google it, it's SIJ or SI joint dysfunction. Um, and your SI joints are basically in these two little divots along the back of your spine by your pelvis. And if you look at your pelvis, essentially your pelvis is uh, two halves, a right half and a left half. Now, if you go to the front of your pelvis, uh, where the two halves meet in the front is your pubic bones. So typically it's about like four inches below your belly button. So if you just kind of poke down there, you should feel these little, you know, little bony protuberances there. That's where your um, pelvis meets in the front. And then if you meet in the back, if you put your hands on your pelvis and just kind of reach back with your thumbs towards your spine, you should feel these two kind of bony divots back there. And that's where your uh, two sides of your pelvis meet your sacrum. And so that's why we call it your SI joint sacro, meaning sacrum, ilium. Ilium is that part of your pelvis. So those are your SI joints. Um, dysfunction back there is, is kind of a tricky one because it kind of depends on who you ask. Some people say, oh, there's no such thing as a pelvic dysfunction. Um, but from my perspective, it's actually very common. And the nice thing with SI joint problems is that typically, if you know how to treat them, um, typically you see results pretty quickly because it just feels good. So let me explain a little more about what happens back there. So basically, if you imagine all the force and the tension that goes through your pelvis and your spine, there's a lot of torsional forces. There's a lot of things that could potentially pull those two halves of your pelvis out of alignment or out of symmetry. 
Now, the one I want to explain that's the most common one is you could see one half of your pelvis rotating forward in relationship to the other half. It's very common for people with pain along their right SI joint to have the right side of their pelvis is rotated forward. Not always. And as therapists, we have to check their bony landmarks and check their alignment. And then we can kind of see where the right side is in comparison to the left side. And we do have to check other things like the, the sacrum and stuff, but I don't want to confuse you with too much of that. So a very common one, again, is that one side of your pelvis will rotate forward uh, in relationship to the other side, which is still rotated neutrally or it's relatively rotated backwards. So we check your alignment in standing, we check your alignment when you're laying down, and then we check your alignment when you sit up from laying down, and we see uh, what happens to those bony landmarks around your pelvis, and then we also see what happens to your leg lengths, because if your right side of your pelvis is rotated forward, what it will look like is that your, it'll look like your right leg is longer, because the attachment of your, of your leg to your pelvis just changed, and it moved forward and down. So... If you imagine that and then you say, well, you know, your pain is centralized and really located in that divot that we've now described as your SI joint, and that's where your pain is. And maybe you've got some sciatica back there too, because chances are, if you've got an SI joint out of whack, you've also got some muscle dysfunction back there and you've got some issues there that could be pressing on your sciatic nerve. Um, if we've isolated it to that, to that section and, or to that little area of your SI joint, and we've seen some of the classic signs of SI joint pain, which are like those landmarks are out of alignment with each other and your leg links are off, there's a very good chance that we should be treating the SI joint. And again, the nice thing with it is that typically if you know how to treat it, um, and as therapists, we typically use what's called muscle energy techniques. Um, some chiropractors are okay at treating it too. Just depends on their level of training too. There's a lot of therapists who aren't that great at treating it as well. So it just depends on who you have as always um, and what their comfort level is and their training level is. But typically, again, what's nice about it is that if you can put that joint back in alignment, typically the, the person feels better right away, like immediately. It may not be their only problem with their lower back, but if it is a problem, it's, it's nice and easy to look at, and it's, it's fairly easy to treat, again, with the right training. So that's your SI joint. And so we've got to check that too. And you know, when it comes to, again, lower back pain and sciatica, the first step really is figuring out what's going on back there. Is it the disc? Is it degenerative changes? Is it the SI joint? Um, and here's the real kicker, because life is uh, interesting at times and uh, not always fair, although I don't like that word anyways, but it's just not always clear about what to do. So it'd be really nice of me to tell you, hey, you know, you're listening to the podcast. All we got to figure out is which one of these three is it? What's not so easy to figure out is the fact that a lot of people, it's not just one, it's a combination of many. So again, it may not seem fair. You may want to shed a tear and that's okay, uh, but it is what it is. So again, you can be testing for, hey, I'm going to see if it's a disc. I'm going to see if it's generative changes. I'm going to see if it's SI joint. But whereas me as a therapist, I'm going to make sure I'm going to check all those things and see if it's a combination of those things too. I'm going to explain a little bit more in depth on that a little bit later here in the podcast too. Um, but again, that's just your overview. You've got to be able to check these things. You've got to say, hey, is it a disc? Is it some degenerative change? Is it an SI joint dysfunction? Is it a combination? Because before you can ever hope to treat these things, you've got to understand the approach that's going to work, that's going to allow you to reach your goals, which should be pain relief for the sake of improving certain activities. Okay, so um, that's your overview. What I will also say in there is that there's, there's lots of muscles and things like that that we have to discuss, which I'm gonna discuss in a little bit here. 
So before I go into some of that stuff, the next thing on my list here for my, for my live workshop, folks, is that I want to talk to you about uh, the biggest mistake that people with low back pain and sciatica, what they make, the biggest mistake they make. And um, this, is, this is kind of standard advice across the board, but I think it's worth touching on because this mistake happens so often that uh, if, if you could avoid this mistake, it would probably add some quality back to your life. So the biggest mistake people make with this stuff <clears throat> is that they ignore it. They ignore it for a long time. And like I said at the very beginning of this podcast, it's easy for people to ignore pain when it doesn't interfere with their day-to-day life and their day-to-day life is busy. They've got things that take priority over the pain. So they ignore it for way too long. And as I imagine you could probably appreciate, the longer you have back pain with or without sciatica, the longer you have it, typically the longer it's gonna take you to get rid of it once you start trying to treat it. And I think that's just a universal law of nature. If you give me 10 clients who have had their back pain for a month or less, and then you give me 10 who have been dealing with two years, I think we can probably pretty safely agree that the people in that first category who've only had their back back pain for less than a month are gonna heal faster, and they're gonna get back to their normal lives quicker and with less treatment, than the second group who's been dealing with it for a couple years. So that's my plea to you. If you've got low back pain and sciatica, you know, either one, chances are the longer you just accept it and ignore it, the harder it's going to be for you to ever get rid of it. And it's going to take more time and money and investment to get rid of it. Whether you're working with a PT or a chiropractor or a combination, doesn't really matter. The other thing I will say is that the longer you deal with pain, typically the more likely you are to have uh, lasting damage. So if we go back to like a disc bulge, you know, if you can treat your disc bulge pretty effectively early on, and you can learn to do some things to prevent it from bothering you again in life, you can probably just fix it. It's good to go. But if you have that disc and it's bulging and it's bulging and it's pushing on the nerve for, for months on end and years on end, by the time you get around to treating that one, you might have some actual damage to that nerve. You might have some actual structural damage to that disc. And now your likelihood of treating this thing effectively on your own with conservative measures like PT, yoga, Pilates, chiropractic, whatever you're doing, your chances of doing that successfully are going down. You're getting yourself closer to requiring medications or injections or surgery. So again, try to think of this from the long-term standpoint, even though, of course, our short-term lives are very busy and very crammed as it is, which that's another topic for another day. Uh, But yes, so that's the biggest mistake folks are making. They ignore it for way too long. Kind of to piggyback off that, the second mistake they make is they mask it. They mask the pain. And I'm sure you can probably agree with this one. You already know what I'm going to say, but they take things like ibuprofen and Aleve or Tylenol, or they go to their doctor and the doctor says, oh, you got back pain. That's great. We'll give you a prescription of hydrocodone. So you're masking the problem and you're never actually getting to what's causing the problem, which is not a good way to do things. Now, if you take you know, um, anti-inflammatories, NSAIDs, like ibuprofen and Aleve occasionally, is that the end of the world? Probably not. Um, but again, if this is a problem that's going on consistently, the sooner you can switch gears in your mind to actually trying to figure out what's causing the problem and figuring out how to treat it for the long term, the better you are. And the longer you're ignoring the pain or you're masking it with like medications and things like that, uh, the more you run the risk of just having a permanent problem. So that's number two there, uh, 
They either ignore it or they mask it. Now, what they should do, of course, you're probably nodding along, hopefully, or you're shaking your head saying Luke's crazy. Uh, but what they should do is they should handle it as quickly as possible. They should handle it. They should get some help if they need it. They should do whatever they can. They should make it a priority um, before it becomes a priority all in, a, you know, in and of itself. You know, Before it gets a life of its own, handle it. Okay, sounds really easy, I'm sure, right? I said, okay, Luke, well, that's... I'm glad someone just told me that I should just handle my problem, but you're probably now asking, well, how? Um, how do I handle it? And so again, let's just kind of, let's go into how we help people at the clinic and some ideas that I think will help you figure out how to handle it. Um, so basically how I look at this and any other type of pain for that matter in an oversimplified version is there's just two things we have to do. And what we have to do, um, so like say you're coming into the clinic, you meet with one of the PTs, you say, okay, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to figure out the root cause of this problem. So naturally, we're going to consider those top three causes. We're going to say, okay, let's check out your discs. Let's check out your joints and all the degenerative stuff that could go wrong. And let's check out your SI joint. Now, that's a great place to start with the root cause of the pain. But really, if you really wanna get skilled at helping people with their low back pain and sciatica, or any other type of, of pain for that matter, is you have to dig one step deeper than that and say, okay, if, it, if we determine it's a disc issue with some SI joint dysfunction, we need to ask ourselves why. We need to say, okay, we know the disc is irritated and we know the SI joint is out of alignment, but why? We can fix disc pain. There's specific exercises, stretches, specific hands-on techniques, and we can certainly fix SI joint dysfunction with, again, certain treatment techniques. But if we, if we gotta go back and say, well, why are they irritated in the first place? Is it, is it something to do with a previous knee injury? Is it a hip problem? Are your ankles involved? Are you sitting awkwardly? Are you sitting too much at work? Are your uh, body mechanics and your lifting mechanics, are they the ones that are causing this problem? Because in the short term, we do want to treat these things, but in the long term, we need to develop a, a really good understanding of what caused the problems in the first place, which will allow you to get to the point where you can keep them from coming back later on. So when I talk about talking, uh, finding the root cause of the pain, I think a lot of people stop at that surface level and they say, okay, we figured out the disc, let's treat the disc. Okay, you're on your way quick as possible. It's like, if you really want to experience long lasting pain relief and have some control over this thing coming back again and bothering you um, and inhibiting your ability to enjoy your life, you really got to go deeper than that and figure out all these things. The average person with a back problem also has a hip problem or a knee problem or an ankle problem or a combination of those. And if we can get on top of those, their ability to really stay in alignment and to really keep things happy is important or is improved, excuse me. So root cause, that's step one. Step two then, um, in terms of, of my philosophy on how we treat these folks, is that we combine hands-on therapy with the appropriate stretches and exercises. Um, and again, this is oversimplified. I'm gonna walk you through some details here in a minute, but that's what works. That's what works in the clinic. If you're trying to treat back pain on your own with, you think you got the appropriate stretches and exercises, but you've kind of hit a plateau, very likely the reason you've hit a plateau is because there's only so much you can do for yourself. And if you need some hands-on therapy to get those joints moving again, get certain muscles loosened up again that you, you can't loosen up um, because of the severity with stretches and exercises, that's where you're gonna need some help. Now, obviously, I'm a proponent of physical therapy since that's my bias, that's my viewpoint, but there's plenty of people who can help you with hands-on therapy. There's a reason people like chiropractors um, because they put their hands on you and they move stuff and really good ones will get into those muscles too and they make you feel better and they do things that you can't do for yourself. So basically, as physical therapists, um, 
at our clinic, that's what we're trying to do. We're, you know, we're giving you the education, we're giving you the stretches and exercises, but we're also providing that really vital component that you can't provide for yourself, which is that hands-on therapy. And obviously, the other thing we're bringing to the table is the expertise and the experience with helping you figure out those root causes and stuff like that. So that's my two-step approach. We help you figure out exactly what's going on to cause the pain. We get you through. Um, we combine hands-on therapy with stretches and exercises. So let's get into a tiny bit more detail on that second step then. And you'll see that it's not quite so simple. <laughs> but uh, so the nice way that I've that I've kind of conceptualized this uh, over the years, and a lot of PTs that I know have done the same thing because um, people are visual learners and it helps them, is that we've developed what's called the three phases of healing. And this is what we walk people through. And it's kind of like their roadmap. It's what they can expect if they're signing up for physical therapy with us. And um, it's, it's just, it's a nice visual, like I said, and it helps them understand the whole process and helps folks understand that our goal isn't instant pain relief typically. Because if it's taken you six months or two years or 10 years to get into this situation, it's going to take some time to get out. And there's a lot that we can do along the way to improve the chances of success. So the three phases of healing, we start in phase one, which is an important place to start, which is pain reduction. So we're reducing pain, we're reducing inflammation. Uh, typically, with our back pain and sciatica folks, phase one is going to heavily include hands-on therapy. <clears throat> because again, you've got joints that are out of place. You've got your SI joint that's out of whack. You've got muscles that are tender that are pulling on your pelvis in one direction or pulling on your back the other direction. Um, you've got joints that need to be pushed and mobilized in certain directions. And so we're doing a lot of hands-on therapy typically with a little bit of stretching and exercising early on, uh, but not much, because our very first primary goal is to reduce pain. We've gotta take the pain level down before we can progress to the next phase where we're gonna get more into like strengthening and flexibility. Because what you wanna do is feel better before you start trying to strengthen things and stretch them. Because a lot of times, if you jump right to phase two and you start saying, okay, we ultimately want to improve your flexibility and strength, Strength usually is a little more important than flexibility, although it depends on what's going on. But we want to make improvements in these areas because it's going to have a positive effect on your on your back pain and sciatica long term. But we just don't want to skip over pain relief because if we do and we start trying to do exercises and stretches right away, it could actually make you feel worse. And again, this is going back to the folks that are trying to self-treat with certain stretches and exercises online. If you have mild pain, you might be okay. You might be okay just going into stretching and exercising to get rid of back pain. But if you have more... Um, moderate pain, severe pain, or just longer lasting pain, a lot of times it's just not going to feel good and you're just going to be stuck with pain. You may have improved your strength, but you still hurt. And if you still hurt, you still can't do those activities. So again, phase one is super important. Again, a lot of hands-on therapy there. And then in phase two, as pain is improving and mobility is starting to improve, now we're focusing on what are the flexibility and strength issues that, that if we can improve are going to have a positive effect on your long-term pain relief in your long-term activity tolerance. So definitely we have to get to phase two, we just can't skip phase one. And then with phase two, after you're improving your strength and your flexibility and your pain is continuing to go down, now we just wanna make sure that in phase three that we're really getting you back to your normal activities, which are different for everyone. So for you it might be you just wanna be able to walk for a mile, for someone else they wanna run or they wanna bike ride or they wanna ski. So we've gotta make sure that all those gains we made in the first two phases, are translating and equating to your actual goals of being able to do the things you want to do. Very important. Phase three, we also throw in prevention. You know, now that we've gotten you to this level, now that we've gotten you there, what's it going to take to keep you there? You know, is it, is it a home exercise program? Which, yeah, that doesn't always work out for people because they don't do them. But is it an exercise program? Is it... Um, 
is it joining a yoga class or a Pilates class, or is it just staying active with certain activities? So that's phase three. So typically, if we can walk our, our clients through those three phases and kind of be their guides along that roadmap, they're going to have a really good chance of success um, and reducing their back pain. Now, I kind of alluded to this way back at the beginning of the podcast. If you've got chronic back pain and sciatica, um, and you've had it for years, and you've tried PT, and you've tried chiropractic, and you've tried injections, and you've tried massage, um, what the reality might be for you is that you're not going to ever expect to have 100% pain relief. And most folks with chronic pain don't have a problem accepting that. But here's the real kicker. You say, well, Luke, I've got chronic pain. I know I've got chronic pain. I've tried PT. I've done this. It doesn't ever give me any lasting relief. So why would I ever talk to you about it? Well, here's the thing that, that you need to understand is that if you have a chronic level of pain of, let's say, 8 out of 10, which 8 out of 10 is severe pain, right? 10 is the worst, 0 is the best. And you say, well, really, yeah, 8 out of 10 pain, I can manage it, but it really bothers me that I can't walk for more than 5 or 10 minutes at a time. Okay, so I'm not going to promise you that you're going to get from 8 out of 10 to 0 out of 10, because um, that would just be a promise I probably couldn't keep. But what if we could get you from an 8 out of 10 to a 6 out of 10? What would that do for your life? And you're saying, well, that's only a 25% improvement in your pain. Yeah, but if I got you to a 6 out of 10 pain, could you bump your walking from 5 to 10 minutes a day up to 15 to 20 minutes at a time? And for people, I mean, if you could just level with them on that level and say, well, here's what I think I can do for you. Here's what I've done for people in your situation before. Here's how we've done it. I'm pretty confident that, that, we, can, that we can do it. We'll never know for sure until we give it a go. But if I can come in with that level of clarity and understanding and just be very realistic with our expectations, usually that's the opportunity that I needed to help that person. Because again, they have tried other things. They are frustrated by other things. They are potentially skeptical about working with me or someone on my staff because you know maybe they've, they've heard promises that people couldn't keep. So just keep that in consideration again with the more chronic types of pain is that you're not necessarily having the goal the same as someone who's only had pain for a few months, you know, um, where we actually can get full resolution of that pain. So keep that in mind. Within the three phases of healing then, I have two little soapboxes that I want to mention um, because I love soapboxes and I feel like uh, they just need to be said sometimes. So uh, soapbox number one, like I mentioned just a little bit ago, we get patients who have come in and they say, well, I've tried PT. I've tried chiropractic, I've tried this, I've tried this. And we get a lot of clients at the clinic who have already, quote unquote, tried PT before somewhere else. And this is my favorite soapbox. So if you've tried PT before and you're coming to me or one of the therapists for back pain relief, the first thing we're gonna ask you then is, okay, you tried PT, that's great. What did you do? What did you do in PT? And more than likely, what we're gonna get is we're gonna say, well, they gave me six exercises for my back. I'll say, okay, they gave you six exercises, cool. What happened next? Well, I did my exercises and I came back the next week and they had me do the same six again. So, okay, cool. How'd that work out? Now, I already know how it worked out, just by the record, for the record, I already know. And if I really wanna get you know, savvy, I can actually tell them how that worked out. I can say, you know what I bet happened to you? I bet what happened is you went for like three or four sessions and every session they gave you this exercises and you actually felt worse. And they'll say, oh, well, yeah, that, that is what happened. Or I can just ask them and they'll just tell me that, you know, voluntarily. And they'll say, yeah, actually that is what happened. And so after three or four weeks of, or three or four sessions of quote unquote, trying PT, I just dropped out. I mean, I'm not going there to feel worse. I'm going there to feel better. Yeah. Kind of a no brainer. So what happened with these folks that went to PT is that these PTs skipped phase one. 
They completely skipped phase one of healing, which is pain reduction, make the tissue feel good, make the joints move better. All these things that, again, involves, in my mind, hands-on therapy, they completely skipped it. They took this patient straight to phase two, and as I mentioned earlier, when you skip phase one and try to go straight into phase two, which is strengthening and flexibility, you tend to feel worse. So that's my favorite soapbox about other PT clinics. I don't feel bad harassing other PTs who don't do hands-on therapy because I think they're doing their clients a huge disservice, and I'm willing to argue that. If you, uh, if you disagree, uh, I'd love to have a candid conversation, or if you have a PT out there who's listening who disagrees, that's fine. But I see this every day in the clinic, and if you don't offer clients pain relief first, there's no way you can get them to doing more flexibility and strengthening because it just hurts. So that's my first soapbox, and my favorite soapbox of all time as far as I can, as far as I know of it in terms of the PT world, is that even if you've tried PT somewhere else, um, there's a very good chance if you get to a different PT and you kind of interview them and you ask them their approach and they say, we do a lot of hands-on therapy to do this and do that, then you're probably going to have a more a better chance of success. So don't ever skip phase one. And like I mentioned, if you're trying to self-treat and you're jumping into phase two and it's not working, that's probably the missing component that you need to narrow in on uh, phase one, or it's the fact that you just don't understand exactly what's causing the pain. So that's soapbox number one. Soapbox number two then is um, you started your PT, the therapist did some good things with you for pain relief in phase one, and then they let you stop your PT horrible way to do things, horrible way. Um, because ultimately, again, people aren't coming to us for pain relief. And this is going to sound weird off of the my first soapbox. They're not coming to us for pain relief. Ultimately, they want pain relief because it leads to them being able to do certain activities that they really value and want to do. So what happens if you're coming in and we do some, let's say it takes us like three or four weeks, but we're making some really good, and you're coming in twice a week, uh, and we're making some really good progress with your pain, and then you say, Luke, I feel pretty good. I think I'm ready to discharge from PT. What happens then if I don't take you through phases two and three? If I say, okay, that's cool. Yeah, you do feel good, and I guess you can walk again. That's what you wanted to do. So I guess, I mean, there's no sense in you paying your copays anymore or you know, taking time out of your busy day to come see me. Yeah, go ahead. So what's going to happen if I let you drop off my schedule after doing phase one pain reduction without ever helping you improve your strength and flexibility, without ever helping you get to some other activities in phase three? What's going to happen is in two months, four months, six months, whatever, your problem is going to be right back where it was because we never really had time to address the underlying causes, which it could have been a flexibility and a strength issue. It could have been that there's other activities that we needed to get you back to. So don't stop after just pain relief um, because ultimately to really maintain these gains, you've got to get through all three phases. I talk to the PTs at the clinic a lot about this. I say, I know your clients want to be done with us. People don't want to come to physical therapy, even though we make it very enjoyable for them and we try to make it a fun, uh, positive environment. They do appreciate that. But at the end of the day, the average person doesn't want to come see us, take time out of their schedule, take money out of their pocket, combination of those two. So we've got to be ultra clear that if they really want to achieve certain goals and outcomes and they want that to be a lasting uh, improvement in their life, we've got to keep them on the track, which hopefully we've established from day one at their evaluation appointment, which is we're starting with pain relief. This is what you can expect. And then you can expect this in phase two, and then you can expect this in phase three. And if you can make it all that way, there's a very good chance that you're going to reach your goals, which are realistic, and that you're going to be able to maintain that and not have to come back and see me again in four to six months. Whew. Love those soapboxes, man. 
got videos on those too, I'm sure. Um, so anyways, those are my two big soapboxes. So um, again, just to wrap that up, hopefully that gave you some good information about what actually has to go into successfully treating back pain and sciatica, especially when you want to reach those specific goals that involve activities, things that are more demanding. And that, you know, I can give you the oversimplified version in, in the bullet points and in the handout that I'm kind of uh, reading off of here. Uh, but there is, there is definitely some skill and some savvy into it. Um, you definitely, if you're struggling with this on your own, you definitely want some help with someone who can really guide you along and make sure that you stay accountable to yourself so that you reach your goals. So hopefully that gives you a good idea um, of what you can do. And if you have been frustrated by back pain and sciatica and you do feel like you've been let down by PTs or chiropractors or just the medical field in general, if you feel like you've gone to your doctor and you've told them or her about your problems and they've just said, oh, we'll take a pill and you've been frustrated, what I would tell you is there's a very good chance that if you get with a good physical therapist that they will be able to help you on some level. Now, obviously I can't tell you specifically and I can't make you any promises because I don't know your unique situation. Um, but, um, you, you just have to find someone who's willing to level with you and really explain what they can and can't do for you. Um, at our PT clinic, then if you're, if you're listening and you're in our area, we do what's called, um, we do free 30 minute discovery visits, which are basically free consultations where one of our PT, uh, our PTs will sit down with you and they'll just, they'll go through your history with you and they'll, they'll listen to your problems and they'll get your history and they'll, they'll help you figure out two things. And so essentially what we're doing is we're helping these clients discover what is the underlying root cause of the back pain or sciatica or whatever else the issue is. So we'll help you figure that out, get a little more clarity on what's going on to cause your pain. And the second thing we'll help you do is we'll help you figure out if we feel like we can help you reduce your pain and increase uh, your activity level, those things that you're hoping to accomplish. So it's a really nice way, again, to just sit down with a PT and to say, look, here's what I have going on. Here's what I've tried. Here's what's worked. Here's what hasn't worked. Here's my frustrations. I don't know if you can help me. I'm a little bit skeptical. I'm not really feeling healthcare these days in our country or our area or whatever. Um, so I don't just want to dive into PT and waste my time and waste my money. I want to know first do you understand what's causing my problem? And do you think you're the right ones to help me? And what can I expect? And that's essentially what a discovery visit is at our clinic. And it's a really nice bridge for a lot of our clients who are on the fence. Now, not everyone's on the fence. Some clients are coming and saying, hey, I've been here before. I love you guys. I know you can help me. My doctor knows you can help me. This is great. Let's, let's rock and roll. But a lot of our clients are a little more skeptical and it rightly so. A lot of bad advice out there, a lot of do-it-yourself quick fixes that just don't work out. So this is where we start them. And again, if they've got a high copay, which is pretty common nowadays, or they've got a high deductible, or they're just busy. I know for myself personally, I, I mean, even if I had a $40 copay every time, what would really get me is the fact that it's going to take you know, an hour and a half out of my day twice a week to get the results that I want. So this is, again, if you're on the fence about that and you just want to say, hey, am I ready to make the commitment to PT? Do I actually have some confidence that you guys can help me? This is the place I would recommend you start. Um, obviously, if you're in our area, if you're in another area, I would just look for a PT clinic that offers a similar thing. You can typically go on their websites and search or you can call. And, you know, if you say, hey, can I just talk to a PT on the phone or can I come down and chat with them? Um, there are PT clinics who understand this and who cater to it. And there's a lot that don't. 
And actually, if you're listening uh, from a different area of the country and you'd like to find a PT in your area like that, you can just email me because I know quite a few of them. Um, We follow kind of the same uh, mentalities and philosophies. So I can probably find them for you if you don't have any luck on your own. So that's what I'd say. If you do want to talk to someone, you can talk to them over the phone or you can talk to them um, in person with a discovery visit. You can email me if you want to know about that. Easiest way actually is just to visit our website gordonphysicaltherapy.com. And actually, if you do go to the website and you just want more information about back pain and sciatica, I do have a free report that you can also download um, with the 14, 14 best tips for easing back pain and sciatica. This report is designed as a starting point for a lot of folks. Um, it's similar to the balance report that I mentioned last week on the podcast, but it's not an end-all be-all. Again, after what I've explained to you, it does take help and skill for a lot of our clients. You're not going to get 100% pain relief off of this free report. But for a lot of people, it's a good place to start. You know, you read the 14 tips and you say, okay, two or three of these tips that I'm trying out seem to have a positive effect and they're giving me some level of relief. And that's all basically I'm offering with the free report. It's more knowledge, it's more background info, and it's got helpful tips. So if you're just looking for an easy place to start, not looking to make a commitment or really reach out to us too much yet, um, you can go see that on the website too. Um, That is gordonphysicaltherapy.com. Oh, I should have wrote the URL down. I'll put the URL down in the show notes, but I believe it's uh, backslash back. It's either backslash back or it's back dash pain, one of the two. Or if you're on the homepage, if you just go to our services, there's a drop-down menu. Just look up back pain. It'll pop right up there. So there you go. So there's some uh, other resources for you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, uh, obviously, I don't hope you have back pain and sciatica, but if you do, I hope you found some some good nuggets of information and some good insight about just the approach you want to take really to get on top of this thing. So as always, I really appreciate you listening. Um, it's been fun doing the podcast. You know, I have a little more fun with, with the interviews, but uh, it's also been a great way right now during COVID for me just to share some Uh, information that I think is going to help a lot of people. So thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. If you do want to reach out to me, I've got my, I'll leave my email in the show notes. Um, It's pretty straightforward though. It's just Luke, my first name at gordonphysicaltherapy.com. If you want to email me feedback or if you have ideas or um, ideas for the show or interviews or something like that, just let me know. I love hearing from people. So always encourage that. And um, yeah, any other information you want, just reach out to me. I hope you're doing well and staying healthy. And uh, with any luck, I'll be back with some interviews soon. And if not, I might do another workshop like on knee pain or something like that. So so stay tuned for that. As always, uh, stay healthy, stay well, stay active, uh, stay positive and optimistic during this uh, kind of weird time. And I will talk to you again very soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Stay Healthy Spokane podcast, sponsored by Gordon Physical Therapy. To stay connected with the Stay Healthy Spokane community, visit www.stayhealthyspokane.com. And we will see you next time on the Stay Healthy Spokane podcast.